Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 330. No technical creation can be considered perfect until it is also perfect from an aesthetic point of view. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's a very special guest, Bradley Price. Bradley, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, I certainly am, Mark. All right. Great to have you here. Bradley Price is an industrial designer and a certified vintage car nut. He settled in New York to pursue a design career encompassing consumer electronics, appliances, furniture, and branding. And there he founded the blog Otto Biliak. That's a cool name. Writing about and photographing classic cars alongside his daily job. And then in 2011, Bradley founded Autodromo as a way to marry his background in design with his lifelong passion for vintage cars. Since the launch of Autodromo, Bradley expanded his product line with a range of automotive-inspired watches, wearable accessories like gloves and sunglasses to enhance your motoring experience. Bradley's watches have become widely published in the automotive press, and they've achieved somewhat of a cult following among the vintage car community. Bradley, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your business and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, sure. My passion is really, uh, as you said, a lifelong thing. Um, I've, I can't even remember the beginning of my uh, passion for cars because it's so early in my life that it's beyond where I can remember. And I grew up in a British car-loving household, actually. So it's been kind of part of my, my upbringing my whole life, just being around vintage cars and around uh, car people. And uh, my parents both really love design and architecture, and um, particularly my father loves pre-war cars as well. So growing up around it, being exposed to all these things, it really helped form me. And basically, uh, you know, if, if we fast forward, I, I went to design school, I moved to New York, and I was working as a product designer. And I kind of felt like, gee, I'm really becoming disconnected from this core passion of mine, this thing that I think about all the time. And so originally Automobiliac was a way of kind of connecting myself back to my passion for cars. But then ultimately I, I wanted my professional life to also kind of connect back to what I was really interested in and thinking about all day. So that was the impetus to to found Autodromo was originally like how can I 
bring all the, I have all these skills that I've acquired over 10 years of working in the field. What could I put those skills towards that would bring me back closer to what I'm really interested in doing? Yeah, I love this in so many ways, and that's why I was so happy that we connected because you fit the profile for the cars you yeah, guest in such a nice way. You you pivoted your career and found a way to wrap that passion for cars into your vocation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about all the different things that you do as we move through our discussion here today. But first, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote. It's a really nice way to Learn a little bit more about you, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Bradley, take the wheel. Well, I have a lot of quotes that I love. Most of them tend to be from architects or from designers or engineers. One of my favorites probably would be from Ettore Bugatti, and he said that no technical creation can be considered perfect until it is also perfect from an aesthetic point of view. Mm. And I really love that quote because it, Bugatti was such a great engineer, but he had also such a flair for aesthetics that no component of any of his cars is not – you could disassemble a car and look at any piece of it, and it's all beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I think that as a designer, I find it very inspiring that you don't just hide stuff away or you don't just kind of uh, half-ass something. Everything is considered. Every detail is is beautifully wrought, and and craftsmanship is really important. So that quote is really uh, something to live by for me. No, I love that quote. Have you been fortunate enough to visit the uh, Bugatti Museum in France? Yes, I've yeah. <laughs> been there twice actually. Uh, we made the pilgrimage when I was eight years old uh, oh, wow. as a family trip. And then I went again in high school, actually. I was doing an exchange program in Alsace, and uh, so we went there as a group. I really want to go back again as an adult, though. That, yeah. That's something on my list. <laughs> oh, so fortunate. Well, obviously, that's a great quote for what you're doing, and especially these watches that you're offering your customers. And I'd love to, to learn how you've incorporated that quote into that product specifically, perhaps. Well, sure. I think the best, just the simplest thing to mention about our watches is that they look beautiful from the back. You'd be astonished at how many watches there are in the market where they just designed it from a front view in Photoshop, basically, and they sent that off to a factory, and the back of the watch is just whatever the case back happens to be the right size, and they put, they put, they just put a logo on the back, mm-hmm. and it's just screwed down, and there's literally no thought given to how the, the side of the watch that faces your wrist is going to look or how it's shaped. Coming from a product design background, though, when I design a watch, it's, it's completely designed as a 360-degree object that can be appreciated from any point of view, whether it's on your wrist or whether you're holding it. And uh, the case-back design is incredibly important to me to do something that is um, a unusual or special that that marks it as one of our watches and not someone else's and b that it's comfortable there's actually every watch of ours has a slightly convex case back which helps to prevent kind of pinching on your wrist when you wear it so we have a reputation for being very comfortable watches so again it's the idea of marrying the aesthetic with the functionality of the product goes into that case back I love that. You know, I love so much of what you're talking about here. Having a design background myself, I really, really appreciate it when people who design anything, anything you put your hands on or your eyes on, when they think about all those elements. It, it brings to mind a motorcycle I had for a time, a wonderful 
MV Agusta F4. Oh, I love MV Agustas. And that bike, when you would take the body fairings off or parts off or whatever, they thought about every piece that is underneath that bike, pieces you would never see. Uh, it's a lot of the same kind of design aesthetic. So. Yeah, well, that's a very Italian mentality, which is that sort of why I became passionate about Italian cars. And, and even though Bugatti was building cars in, in France, he was a Milanese designer mm-hmm. or a Milanese engineer. And uh, I think there's a, a very Italian sensibility about his work. And, you know, you look at any Alfa Romeo, the castings are just beautiful. You know, I mean, lanchas, like all the, every part is like hand polished on the old vintage lanchas, you know. It's, yeah. It, I, I really love that sort of thing. Fantastic. Fantastico, as they would say in Italy. <laughs> would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about this passion for automobiles going so far back that you can't even really remember, but maybe there's one pivotal moment in your life that really struck you as a realization that, you know what, I'm a car guy. Uh, yeah, I can think of a couple of things. One is, um, so when I was a little kid, my father had an Austin Healey 106. Ooh, nice. And that was the first vintage car that he, that we, you know, we had as a family. And, um, he was always working on it. <laughs> of time. course. It's as, a British. as one does with the British car. He <laughs> yeah. was constantly underneath it. Mm-hmm. And so I would be in the garage. And, you know, I think that there's something when you're a child that you're face to face with the car. You know, as an adult, you look over the car. But when you're a child, you're looking straight into all the interesting bits of the car, like the grill, the headlights, the taillights. Those are all like right at eye level. And you're touching those things with your hands and feeling them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a really uh, intense way to experience a car is at eye level. And, it, you know, and, and it's something that as an adult, you almost very rarely experience unless you're washing the car, basically, or you're like sort of it's on a lift. Right. So I think that that somehow there's something deep inside me was very uh, excited by the, all the textures and I, I remember being very mesmerized by the tail lamps that sort of pointy uh red glass tail lamps that pointed out of the the rear fenders of that car because right. they're, they're like a little bullet yeah and uh so so you know those are the kind of things that i remember just sort of snippets as a kid and of course the smell of uh the garage with the um kind of the the, the lawnmower smell <laughs> the, gla- the grass clippings combined with motor oil and gasoline and sort of concrete sure so th- those are the earliest car memories that I have and of course also riding in the car and the texture of the 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 wool uh sort of curly wool rug on the uh, transmission tunnel of course, you know, in those days, uh, I rode on the transmission tunnel, which today my dad would be arrested for doing, I sure, think. But, yeah. uh, you know, back then that was what we did. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so, you know, I just remember being so excited to, you know, you're straddling the transmission tunnel and like the shifter was like right in my stomach, basically. Yep. And it was just, I just was thrilled by it every time we would go in the car. And the other, the other pivotal memory I have is that we had a family friend who raced. Uh, vintage mm-hmm. and we would go up to Elkhart Lake and watch him race once in a while nice and I think that that really stuck with me that you know when you go as a kid to watch racing you see these people going around but then when when the guy gets out of the car and it's someone you actually know it yes. kind of shatters that barrier in your mind that like oh these are just other people doing this thing mm-hmm. but when you actually can like walk up and meet someone and they, they put you in the car 
you think, yeah, maybe someday I could do this, you know? Right. So that really lit a, a fire in me to want to do vintage racing the rest of my life. And, and I only achieved that, that goal last year, basically. But oh, uh, we can right. go into that later. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, I've been lucky enough to uh, drive a race car at Elkhart Lake. What a wonderful track. And you and I share a little something when I was quite young five years old, four years old. My dad had an MGTC. Oh, great, yeah. So a lot of those things you were describing uh, were coming and flashing back into my head. And my sister and I used to ride around on that little luggage compartment behind my mom and dad. And, of course, uh-huh. know, today they'd be arrested <laughs> for child endangerment. But, uh, yeah, our heads were above theirs, and we'd put some goggles on. So, yeah, we uh, share a lot of memories. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or, or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But, of course, the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? Sure. Well, I think the biggest challenge that I faced was actually it hasn't been with Autodromo so much because that has come very naturally to me. But I think if when I look back on my career, uh, you mentioned the idea of pivoting earlier, and I think that pivoting – yourself is is one of the things that I had to learn how to do because I originally I had very specific ideas let's say in college that I wanted to be a car designer that was my original aspiration Mm -hmm. but as soon as I was getting into my design studies and learning about car design and I, I was studying at University of Michigan so I was in Michigan, which is obviously where you want to be for cars. <laughs> sure. Uh, but I wasn't at CCS in Detroit, which was like the car design school. Yeah. So I was already aware that like, okay, there are other people at CCS who are learning to draw cars all day. And I'm at Michigan and I'm studying history of art and I'm studying product design. And I'm already at a disadvantage compared to those people as far as getting a car design job. Sure. And on top of that, I realized that I, I had a lot of really good three-dimensional reasoning and problem-solving skills, but my sketching ability was nowhere near the level of what you need to have to be a professional car designer. It's really like a very, it's really like an artistic job, mm-hmm. not just a, I'd say it on a spectrum between like pure art and engineering, it's far more at the art end of, of the spectrum sure. because there's so much engineering support that the, the designer really has to be an artist. So I realized that, that I wasn't as strong as other people in that area. So what I found is that, that furniture design actually filled this, this role for me where I was actually good at it and it required a bit more of a technical problem solving side to it. And it was still very much about form and proportion and I really enjoyed it. So that, that was the first thing where I kind of pivoted away from the idea like, oh, I want to be a car designer. And I said, oh, I want to be a furniture designer. So throughout my twenties, I was working in a product design studio and I was working in branding, but in the evenings I would be designing my own furniture by myself for my for my own needs, I guess. And uh, my goal was to eventually take these furniture designs and pitch them to companies and try to get my designs manufactured. Well, I spent a while in the field, like I got to know people, and the more that I would meet other furniture designers, I realized that like even people I really respected who were, in my opinion, doing quite well for themselves were having a lot of trouble, and it's like a really difficult field, and, and it's really based on personal relationships, as many things are, and I had a few moments where things that I had designed were almost produced, but then at the last minute, something would always happen where 
the funding for the project would get cut or someone that I was working with got fired or like quit to go somewhere else. And then there was a new person in charge and they didn't know me and they didn't know what my uh, project was. Yeah. <laughs> and this was just happening constantly. And uh, even though I was getting better and better at what I was doing, I just felt like I wasn't making progress in my career as a, you know, I wasn't making a name for myself, uh, even though I had a good day job. Mm-hmm. So that was like a really difficult thing to to handle because you know you you have all these ideas you want to share them but you feel like it's not a uh it's not easy to get people to to buy into your ideas there's a great quote from um a french designer roger talon who was the guy who designed the tgv oh yeah and uh, he had this great quote which was like the artist is one who masturbates, but the designer makes love, and his partner is industry. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I have not heard that quote. before. That's a great quote. Yeah, yeah, it's a very French thing to say, I think. Sure. But, uh, yeah. He, but it's true that you know, if you're if you're doing your own work to satisfy yourself, then that's one thing. But if you if you need somebody to like bring your idea into the world, you need a partner, and you need a manufacturing partner. So that was very challenging. And um, in the end, I started thinking about what could I do to start my own business because I, I just was like, I'm tired of trying to rely on other people to produce my work. Mm. So the, um, the, the next pivot came when I decided to found my own company to manufacture my own products, basically. Nice. And uh, that was the beginning of Autodromo. And uh, the other, of course, the other pivot at the time was to kind of get away from the design world, which was something that I was sort of living and breathing, and get back to the car world, which was something that I was more passionate about and, and really felt more like I was my own person in that world. Very cool. Wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I always like to have my guests share one of those career aha moments, a time when the the headlights come on and illuminate your way for this new idea, this direction you had. And tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, the aha moment really was an aha moment for me, actually. I was driving. I have a an Alpha GTV6 as sort of my daily driver, and um, I was driving that car in the woods. And I was looking at the gauges, and I was actually looking at the typography on the gauges. And I was like, you know, these are really nice. Uh, I really like the way these look. Why doesn't somebody make a watch that's gauge inspired? I was like, someone has to have done that already. And of course, that I you know I did some research, and I found that it had been done in the past, but not very well and that there was nobody really currently occupying that space. Mm -hmm. So my original aha moment was like, why don't I design some automotive gauge-inspired watches? The more I did the research about it, and I also realized that, you know, like many of us car guys, I would look at the car magazines, and all the car watches were just like, five ten thousand plus dollars <laughs> yeah and i was like why doesn't anyone make anything that's actually affordable that that people could could afford to buy mm-hmm. who are not like ready to drop that kind of money on a watch so i also had the notion that you know there is a market for uh, an accessibly priced car enthusiast watch and so kind of combining those two thoughts together that was kind of the, the germ of the idea but from that point to the first watch being sold, that was a two-year process during mm. which I had to design the products, which actually was not the hardest part, obviously, because that was my professional thing. Mm-hmm. But after designing them, actually getting them manufactured and all of these other sort of things that had to fall into place, like registering my business, like I had no idea how to register a business or what, how to 
get a tax ID number, yeah. you know, all these oh, things. Yeah. That you, you know, yeah. No the idea. EIN oh, yeah, number and yeah, all the licenses yeah. and yeah. 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 So, so, you know, but, but the thing is that each thing just kind of like you just do one thing after the next and eventually you, you know, it's, it, you can't do everything at once, you know, and, and you just have, otherwise it's overwhelming. So, right. you know, you just make lists of things to do and, and then one thing after the other falls into place and you can cross that off and then you do the next thing. And, you know, I think that, that I was patient because my one, one piece of advice I give to a lot of other entrepreneurs or people who want to start their own company is I'm not a proponent of the, like, quit your job and follow your dream. It's like, no, you have to keep your job and follow your dream and then eventually you emerge out of your job like a butterfly emerging from the cocoon. And then that's <laughs> when you really, you know what I mean? Because yes. otherwise you can't, you need that, that gestation period of safety where you have income. Right. So that was a big thing, you know, and it was a hard work at the time. And, you know, uh, I had to work, you know, evenings and weekends for two years to, uh, to get everything shored up, you know? Right. Right. But now, you know, Things are things are good. Awesome, so, uh, awesome, yeah. <laughs> very cool. I love the story. That's great. Driving through the woods in an Alpha, watching the gauges, and an idea is born. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? I, I have to say, from uh, I, I have had a lot of things in the last three years that have made me very happy about where I am or what what I've achieved with the company. Um, but I should point out, you know, we're still, I'm still a one man company. I do pretty much everything myself. Um, and so, you know, it's not like, oh, we're, we're like this giant company now and we have all these employees. It's just still a very small operation. Mm -hmm. But I think one of my most gratifying moments actually was, uh, going back to my admiration for car designers and my kind of early d desire to be one. I've had so many car designers come up to me and say how much they love my work. Nice. Of all the things, that, that really makes me feel great because mm -hmm. I really respect what those people are, are capable of. And I know that they are also very particular people in general. Yes. And uh, for them to say, I'm a really big fan of your work, that, that means a lot to me. And, and actually, the, the proudest moment was uh, when the design director of a very well-known supercar company said that to me. Nice. And uh, I was just blown away. I had no. I was like, "How does he even know what I do?" Yeah, I know. Isn't <laughs> and, it great? And, uh, that was really a moment where I said, "Wow, I guess people have heard about the company enough now that people know it." So sure, uh, that that really was a great great moment for me. Oh, absolutely fantastic! Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you have with that vehicle, I've never owned a car that wasn't a special car. Mm, you are uh, one I, fortunate guy. <laughs> well, because, and that doesn't mean they were expensive or anything. It's just that uh, I've never owned a modern car. I've never owned a daily driver that was like a, a oh, I just need this practical car to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. So the the you know, in high school, I had a uh, a BMW 2002, which was my first ever car. Nice. Uh, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, I have. I enjoyed that car a lot, but I, I feel like I don't have like this standout memory that's like the. Uh, you know, the iconic high school uh, car memory mm -hmm. to, to, to put with that, but it was a great car. Sure. And then about six, seven years ago, I, I didn't have a car for many years. And then uh, uh, I bought my Alpha GTV6. And that that's a very special car. I think they're very underrated cars. But that car has just been amazing. And I've done so many things in that car. I've done the track days. I, 
we drove down to uh, my friend and I drove down to the tail of the dragon and did that and cool. the car and yeah. drove back on, you know, to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the car is just amazing. You know, the fact that you could drive it up to Watkins Glen and, and beat on it for two days at the track and then drive it home without a single hiccup. Yeah. You know, it's just the engineering on that car is remarkable and uh, they're so reasonably priced. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a pretty special car, even though they're very uh, inexpensive. Mm-hmm. What, um, what year is your GTV? It's an 83. 83, cool. All right. Very nice. But, I love but that. The, mo- the, the most special car, though, is uh, something I recently acquired, which is a, um, a Renault Alpine A110. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And uh, that is really like a grail car that I've always desired to own, and uh, I've just recently acquired it, so it's actually still being kind of put on the road. It's not currently operational, but that to me, that car is so special because it's just such a, again, uh, you know, I going back to my admiration for Bugatti, I, I also really admire people like Colin Chapman, and Jean Redelet is the French sort of Chapman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was a, a very interesting person, I think, and a very visionary guy. And so to have this car that's sort of his brainchild, it, it's very exciting for me because I love the idea that this sort of shoestring operation was able to produce their own car and to win the World Rally Championship with it. Oh, you know? yeah. Uh, and not, not to mention they were also competing at Le Mans at the same time. And, I mean, just the, just the sheer audacity of trying to do those things as a tiny, tiny company playing against giants like Porsche and Ferrari – it's just really, it's inspiring, and uh, so uh, I'm really proud to have this car, and I, I'm really excited to uh, to run it on the track next year, hopefully. Oh, wonderful! Sounds great. What year's your Renault? It's a '65. '65. Wow. It's a fairly fairly early car. Yeah. Very cool. Love it. Love it. Well, speaking of cars, and we'll bring up this terrible word, seller's remorse. Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? <laughs> well, I'm, I tend to accumulate things, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't sell; you only buy. Car. I never sold a car, but my dad did sort of uh, when I when I moved to New York and I couldn't afford to have a car or anything. I think my 2002 languished at home for a while, and my dad finally just sold it because he it was just taking up garage space. So yeah. it was kind of sad to see it go. But honestly, I'm really happy with the cars I have. I, I wouldn't. Uh, necessarily say that I need to have that one back. Yeah. But that, that was the only car I had to let go, unfortunately. Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, every project I work on has me excited and fired up. <laughs> so I, I'm always excited and fired up about anything that I'm working on. I, I'm working on a really special watch for next year, which I can't go into much detail on, but it's going to be a, for our fifth anniversary. Uh, so I really want to make it a special watch for, for next holiday season. Nice. And I'm working on, uh, for this holiday, I can, I can say that, uh, there's going to be a new watch that's themed on Group B Rally. Oh, cool. Which is going to be very, very cool. And it's going to be kind of a, a slight aesthetic departure for us away from the more kind of heritage themed pieces that, that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little more contemporary looking, but again, sort of an eighties theme. So it'll be kind of an eighties futuristic aesthetic. Wow. Well, group, um, so, group B is kind of was the unlimited class. Yeah. Where that, anything right. went. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, a group B is really the last romantic era of racing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that after that, 
because of the danger involved. But it wasn't just about the danger. I think people focused excessively on the danger. It was also about the kind of the sky is the limit kind of mechanical ingenuity involved. Sure. Of course, uh, strict rules also create creativity as a response. But but I, I think there's something about people just being able to imagine something wild and crazy and build it and race it. You, know, you can't really do that very, very much anymore. No, um, no. And you, you know, it comes to mind of the Can-Am race cars that, that were exactly. just, you know, yeah. all out cars. But boy, the cars they were coming up with Group B, Lancia, Renault, I mean, all those cars... Uh, were just absolutely insane. I mean, just, yeah, they were insane. Yeah, just crazy fast. I mean, massive horsepower on super light 1200 pound cars, just uh, over the over the edge. And then, of course, the crazy uh, spectators that would stand right on the edge of those rows. I just I cringe when I watch those old videos. Like, I know, get I out know. of the way. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, very cool. Well, we'll look forward to seeing those come out this season. And of course, I can't wait for next season's watch. Sounds fantastic. Here's a very introspective question for you, Bradley. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, that's a, that's, I struggle with that question a little. That, that, uh, that's why I, I, I ask I think it. that <laughs> the cars that I own tend to reflect my personality very well. Mm-hmm. So I would say, for example, the car that I race is the Giulietta Spider Veloce, mm. uh, which is a 1959. It's, um, it's white. Beautiful. Yeah, I've seen uh, a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, and that car, I think, expresses my personality very well because it's it seems kind of harmless at first, and I, I think that people don't really take the Giulietta seriously as a performance car because it's so pretty. Not that I'm pretty, but mm-hmm. I'm, saying, <laughs> I'm saying I'm kind of like, I seem kind of innocuous, I guess, when people meet me. Mm-hmm. But it's a seriously competitive car, and uh, it handles beautifully, and it's just such a incredibly capable car uh it's very very light and very small and i i kind of like it because it's one of those sort of uh, i i always like david versus goliath stories and mm. those cars still actually were winning scca championships in like the 80s i think the yeah. early 80s like they modified. Were, yeah <laughs> yeah uh-huh. so i mean they really are i i really like that they're they look old and they're they're very pretty but they the underneath they are extremely competitive extremely well engineered and extremely just sort of dialed in yeah um and there's nothing excessive or you know there there's not really much uh, frills on that car mhm yeah well that's why i like that question it it brings out some very interesting Answers, and I call it the Harold Cleworth question because Harold's a, a very well-known automotive painter. He's actually a two-time guest here on Cars, yeah, and he's the one that gave me the idea. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, Bradley, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars, yeah, sponsors. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology 
with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. All right, Bradley, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You're a guy who's been on the racetrack. You know what that means. The white flag is out. It's time to put our foot down and... This is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Best automotive advice I've ever received is to buy the car that somebody else has already spent a fortune putting <laughs> it into it, and not to not to try to buy the car that you want to spend a fortune putting uh, into it. You know, that is great advice. I've heard that many times here, and we're recording this the uh, – a few days before I leave to go down to Monterey uh, Pebble Beach Car Week and all those auctions. So uh, you folks going down there with your uh, bidding paddles, buy the car somebody else restored and uh, reap the benefits from that. Great advice. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Uh, making lists is really important. I think it helps you to prioritize things and it helps you to kind of visually have a log of the, the tasks that need to be done. And if you don't know what you should be doing, you can always go back and look at the list and say, oh, I, I could do that right now. Yes, I love that's a really lists. Good, that's a really good habit. Yep, great habit. Is there a resource that you'd like to share with the Cars Yow listeners you think they would really enjoy? Uh, well, I, I uh, definitely think if anyone out there hasn't already visited Petrolicious and watched their videos, it's really one of the best car sites on the Internet, and I'm very proud to sponsor it as a uh, Autodromo is one of the uh, the first sponsors of that site. Wonderful. Yes, we've had the founder of that site on the show. I love Petrolicious. Love their videos, what they're doing there. It's just uh, it's fantastic. You can I enjoy my morning cup of coffee watching people in their, their cars. So <laughs> great reference. How about one book? Is there a book in particular you think that our listeners would really enjoy reading? I'm a big fan. Of the Phantom Tollbooth was actually one of my favorite all-time books. It's, I mean, it's technically a children's book, but I think it's a book that anyone of any age can enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's just about looking at the world differently and you know, just kind of um, questioning how you look at the world and why you think the way you do. Fantastic. That's the first time that book's been uh, recommended here, and I'll remind our listeners there's a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books. You can find Bradley's Choice and the past 329 guests at carsyad.com. Just go to carsyad.com slash Bradley Price. You'll find his book and that'll link you to his show notes page where you can uh, purchase that book. Great suggestion. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today... I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? That is such a tough choice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, so it's such a hard thing, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I would like the Maserati A6 GCS Coupe by Pininfarina. Ooh, you've chosen a very nice car. Now, what is it about that Maserati you love so much? 
I think it's pretty much the ultimate car. I think it that and the SWV Ferrari for me are like the the epitome of post-war Italian sports car design. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I think the proportions of the A6 GCS coupe are just they're just stunning, and the car looks good from every angle. It's just so gorgeous. And on top of that, or underneath that, I should say, the chassis, you know, it's like a race car chassis, basically, like a Millimilia car or a Targa Florio car underneath it. So right. you've got the most capable running gear possible allied with the, the most beautiful body. And the thing that I love about those cars in general, these sort of Berlinetta-style uh, cars, is that they're, they, they can do it all. They, they're, the, they're the ultimate car because they they're beautiful you can drive around in them you can race them because they're just incredible cars mechanically mm-hmm. you can show them you can you can do anything in them really and you could do it, when they were new people would drive them across the continent and then paint a number on the side and win a race and then drive <laughs> to dinner at the finest hotel in a tuxedo yeah you, know, you can't do that with a car today Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's interesting that, you know, Glickenhaus is now trying to make a car that could do that in theory. But, of course, it's like a really wild car. Sure. But uh, I really love that idea, though, of the car that can do it all. It's a road car. It's a race car. And it's it's kind of a, just like the perfect car, basically. Sure. Uh, great choice, my friend. That is a beautiful, beautiful car. I knew you'd pick something that just had all those aesthetics with the design combined with the racing heritage, with your passion for being on the track and your design background. Fantastic choice. Bradley, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I want to thank you for sharing your stories. I've really enjoyed them. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. It's been great to get to know you a little better. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that Maserati? <laughs> uh, I have one other great quote that's actually from one of your previous guests, fictional characters. Ah. Uh, Bert Levy. <laughs> Bert, uh, yeah. I love Bert. Yeah, now I've read all pretty much all of his books and uh you know the character big ed Baumstein has a great line where he says the key to success in life is not to make the best deal possible but to make enough good good deals yes <laughs> or make a lot or make a lot of good deals good enough deals i i just think that's a great quote that that's really a good words to live by because it i think people are often paralyzed by trying to get the very best optimized situation and mm-hmm. then they don't end up doing anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the idea that just being pragmatic and making enough good enough decisions will see you through. So I, I really like that piece of advice, even though it's from a fictional character. <laughs> ah, great advice and great reference back to Bert and all of his uh, wonderful books. I just talked to him the other day. He's on a big, uh, big, uh, busy summer tour circuit with his newest book. So um, there you go, Bert. Uh, nice <laughs> call out to you. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your website and your business? Uh, just go to autodromo.com and be sure also to follow us on Instagram. We have a wonderful Instagram account that uh, is kind of a travelogue of my various car activities, cool. uh, including vintage racing, going to concours events, just kind of cool pictures of cars and watches. So if you like those things, definitely follow us on Instagram. It's autodromo media, one word, A-U-T-O-D-R-O-M-O, media, all one word. And yeah, and please visit our website, have a look at our product. 
Yes, uh, please do. You're going to be in love with what Bradley's doing. I remind you, you can find everything at carsyad.com slash Bradley Price. Just put Bradley in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with links to his Instagram, his website. Check out what he's doing. It is so cool. You're going to spend a lot of time there. I, I warn you, but you're going to really have a wonderful time on his site. Bradley, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot, Mark. I really appreciate being on your show. Thanks a lot. Uh, The honor was all mine. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!